This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth as we continue our Bible study on the book of Exodus. Uh, we pick up today in Exodus chapter 4, verses 18. Um, and it's kind of fascinating because this is, is that right? Yeah, yes. I'm yes. sure. Yes. Uh, this, this is cool mainly because of our conversation that we had last week. The idea of the creation of Mashiachs um, in the Hebrew Bible becomes a, an important role throughout the entire Tanakh. And once you've had your origin story, <coughs> regardless of what culture you're talking about anthropologically, there's, there's got to be a return. So they go, they become transformed, they come back to save the place they're from. So Moses has to return back to Egypt in order for the story to continue. Now, now remember, as, as of right now, Moses has killed a man, ran away to Midian, got married. As far as we know, there's family, but we don't know much more about that. Um, and now God has told him he has to go back home where he's basically an unconvicted killer, murderer. Uh, that's definitely on the plate. So there's a, a human trepidation towards it as well as a spiritual one. What am I supposed to do if God tells me I'm supposed to go and go do something? Um, so Moses returning, returning to Egypt is kind of a, an interesting dialogue. So let us begin right there. You may have any questions before we start reading. Why does Moses have to ask Jethro to leave? It's a good question. So part of the reason is, is that Jethro has in, entrusted Moses with keeping up his flocks and taking care of stuff. And so he's got to get permission in order to basically give up his inheritance or his wife's inheritance. Okay. So it's like, I, I've got to go back over here Um and I and I really need to make sure because he's not he's not Midianite. And there's no sons. Jethro has no sons. If no, I remember right, right. Okay. So he's just got daughters. So there's this weird dynamic there that's going to take place. I mean, it's nice. It just I didn't understand. I yeah, mean, I was like, is he a slave? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and this is how you know it's it's an issue, but it's not a, a standalone issue because they don't even talk about it in the Talmud. They talk about it. He goes and gets permission, but then he just leaves. It's just the same idea. Did that help? Yes, thank you. No I just, very first sentence is like, okay. You Jethro, he has to ask permission and said, let me go back to my kinsmen in Egypt and see how they're faring, that one. <laughs> and then Jethro says to Moses, oh, go, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who sought to kill you are dead. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> So Moses took his wife and sons, see how that worked, mounted them on an ass and went back to the land of Egypt. And for all the men who sought to kill him. That's the rod of God. Mounted them on an ass and went back to the land of Egypt, took the rod of God with him. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform fair before Pharaoh, all the marvels that I have put within your power. I, however, will stiffen his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. 
I have said to you, let my son go that he may worship me. Yet you refuse to let him go. Now I will slay your firstborn son. At a night encampment on the way, the Lord encountered him and sought to kill him. So Zipporah took Flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his legs with it, saying, You are truly a bridegroom of blood to me. And when he let him alone, she had a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. And he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron about all the things that the Lord had committed to him and all the things about which he had instructed him. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of Israel. And Aaron repeated all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he performed the signs in the sight of the people. And the people were convinced. When they heard that the Lord had taken note of the Israelites and that he had seen their plight, they bowed low in homage. Right, so just pause. Um, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff here. In verse 24, who is him and sought to kill him? The Lord uh, encountered him and sought to kill him. Moses? Moses is who was listed just before. You should refer to that. So was Pharaoh and... <laughs> Well, they're definitely talking about Moses. Okay. So God God sends him on the mission. He's going to kill him. Yeah. And to save his life, his wife circumcises her sons. Yeah, right? Well, it said sons. I thought it said son, but I went back and it's... So it should be one son. One son. Yeah. First point. Remember? Right before this, it said the firstborn are going to get killed. So she's going to circumcise the firstborn son. That's that's what that means. That's, so it's a singular. So it's, she's circumcising the firstborn son. Uh, what, what happened to Moses? So. Uh, so I got to give you the, the true answer. Uh, scholars don't know why this section is in here. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, there's it's it, it's too weird. Like it's it's a it's it's one of those we don't have the inside information. Why the thigh? Well, remember remember the beginning of Genesis. There's these conversations that take place with putting your hand on someone's thigh, uh, and that and that becomes a brief uh, a, a law or a covenantal moment. Um, so the blood on the thigh is supposed to represent that, but why? Why that? Why? Why did they have to be circumcised and put the blood and the skin? You know, this is another part that is it's right. Yeah, it's super gross. Why would they do that? Um, and so we we don't exactly know why or what's going on here. Uh, I mean, like even if you read my Jewish study Bible, it, it says something to the effect: possibly a bridge from a fuller, clearer version is an extraordinary puzzling because. The motive for God's attack is unclear. The pronouns are equivocal and Zipporah's remarks are enigmatic. When you look at this in Hebrew, it doesn't, it's it's really choppy. It's like as they were writing it down, they're missing pieces. But uh, but the idea here is, is the circumcision has to be some sort of protective power. Like why, why is that becoming the protective power? 
But remember, Zipporah is not of Jewish heritage. No. So circumcision would not have meant the same thing to her. So for some reason that there's some sort of magical thing that's supposed to take place. But what most scholars will tell you is, is it's like a foreshadowing of the Exodus experience, that the blood will save you. So that's when Passover happens, you know, so it's supposed to be that. Why? The, the worst part about this is, is, the answer is, we don't know. Um, so Moses circumcised? That's a great question, and I would say probably not. I mean, that's where I would lean, because yeah. it was, I'm trying to, anyway, it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's a huge deal, but remember that at this point, they have not established they know that you have to be circumcised, but all of the people that have been circumcised were uh, children, uh, younger children, 12 years old and above, right? Yeah, it's a passage. I mean, uh, it's right. It's a, it's a rite of passage. So the, the youngest person that ever gets uh, circumcised is the one that gets ready to get altered, uh, sacrificed. That's uh, Isaac, right? That's, yeah, mm -hmm. Isaac. That's the youngest one that ever gets sacrificed. As circumcised, and then everybody in the household does. So up until this point, circumcision has not been, other than they will know you because of this, most of them have not been circumcised as infants. So Moses, theoretically, probably was not, because he was an infant when he was put into the river. But he was with his mother until he was older. Sure. And again, so, and we don't know if he was in the castle or if he was at home. That's that's I mean, you're all making very good snacking behind the the wall and snip. <laughs> See, I mean, I'm thinking just the opposite. I'm thinking Moses is probably circumcised. Sure. And maybe he's talked about that to Zipporah, and maybe that's why all of a sudden it's in here. That she does that to her son. I mean, you could make that case because that it's like, oh yeah, Moses said, you know, I kind of remember. Yeah, we gotta we gotta go back to that the what if scenario, right? In yeah. the Talmud, it says that he was a he was a young age. In the Hebrew Bible, it says he was just weaned, like his mother only took him to a certain point and then stopped. But like the history of the Jewish culture. If let's say we decide that Moses had stayed with his biological mother till he was of a certain age, that he would have remembered that. And then Karen's case is absolutely 100% right. But if he had been weaned, like some of our translation says, that he'd been like two or three years old, he would have heard bits and pieces, but he's not going to remember any of that. And therefore, the problem with this is that he doesn't know anything about his heritage which then, in my opinion, negates the ability for him to recognize that this is actually God. <laughs> you see? Yeah, he's wrestling around to the burning bush. Yes. It's a God. It's a God. I mean, he, he might and go there. It, it changes the whole story of Moses at that point. If, if Moses had only been with his biological mother until he was weaned from her, none of this story makes any sense. But if he had been raised by his biological mother and told these stories of the Hebrew culture, yes, then it makes sense for the supporter to know, oh, circumcision's important. Why she puts the blood on his leg, we don't know. But, but that's right. Sure, beer. You know, we know this. And she grew up in Midian. So who knows? Maybe there's some sort of ritual with them that there's blood on legs. And 
stuff. Because, you know, if you think about it, when we give birth, there's blood everywhere and all this stuff. Who knows what there's going on in their mind? At the end of the day, if, if we look at this story as if Moses did not know anything about his heritage, it doesn't make any sense. So I apologize for being gone last week, but do we know who Jethro is? No. Because the Talmud goes into great length as to yes. Jethro. And yeah. where I was headed is Zipporah may be educated. She, you know, we, we definitely, he, all they've told us, because of the medieval text that we're using, right? The, the only thing that they tell us in this text is that Jethro was a Midian priest. Doesn't tell you anything else, but in the Talmud, again, it goes into this huge, beautiful story about how awesome he is. And, and, and he's, it's just, he's a good guy. We like, we like Jethro a lot. Yeah. For him to be a bad guy, he's around the wrong side. He's he a wears a white hat. Yeah. 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 So like, there's there's a there's a there's a lot of interesting stories about of this. And so okay, so I'm gonna go back with what Karen said. If Moses had been raised until a certain age, he would have been circumcised. Right? If if he had been weaned, he wouldn't have been. So if we go with what Karen said, then he had been, and he had been talking to Zipporah about his faith, which would then make sense why this story would happen. Totally. Then let's go back to the Aaron scenario. Remember what we, well, the, the last week we read that the idea was that Aaron is speaking on behalf of Moses because Moses does not speak well. Um, and God would give him the words. Now, this is a fantastical part of the story. It's as if Aaron becomes the interpreter of Moses. Now, I'm going to blow your minds for just two seconds. We're going to take a rabbit trail because this is kind of one of those fancy things of, in our culture. Speaking in tongues is something that a lot of churches still practice and understand and think to this day, this is the way we're supposed to be a, a part of God's kingdom. One of the things is, is, there's a lot of conversation about the relationship between Moses and Aaron. Paul specifically says that if someone is to speak in Glossalia or uh, Glossalic speak, you have to have an interpreter, somebody that knows what they're saying in order for it to be the words of God. So what happens is, is the evangelical movement uses this passages of scripture to say, here's your proof. So that Moses was speaking God language and Aaron was interpreting it for him. It's it's a it's a very loose case. It's a very loose case. But I want you to understand that this has been used in this moment that we're talking about right here. Uh, this this is definitely something that's used in the, the 20th, well, the 19th century specifically. And then it gets a little bit washed away because we go back to what Paul says. But I just want you guys to know that that is definitely a part of a Christian conversation. In not, this case, we know that Moses is stuttering. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but does Moses do the miracles? Well, that's the... I mean, or is it... Yeah, don't give that away yet. Okay. Yeah, so what we definitely established yesterday, what last week was, when, when Moses is in front of the Pharaoh, it's, most, it's Aaron speaking... But we've always attributed it as Moses speaking. Right? 
the only other thought I had in all this is as fast as it's moving, none of this means a whole lot to the writer. Yep. I mean, he's getting you from point A to point B yeah. as quickly as he can. Yeah, we got to get time plays. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely on purpose. Did y'all catch the part that he does the miracles in front of the people? Yeah. At first. First. That's another story that you don't learn when you're little. Also, it sounds like Aaron did the signs because Aaron told them he also performed the signs. Mm -hmm. That's uh, a... Um, 29, 29, 30. Yeah, he also performed the signs before the people. Yep. Yep. So they saw the signs twice. Once by Moses, once by Aaron. I know Moses hadn't done them. Moses, Moses doesn't get to do it. Just did it before Pharaoh. Oh, just, just well, not yet because they're talking about the future because they haven't been back. They're not back to Pharaoh yet. So we should follow somebody that we don't understand what he's saying. Number one, and isn't doing anything. I mean, oh, just yeah. Aaron's doing it <laughs> now. I'm sure Aaron said he did all that on his behalf because God told. Moses that he would. I mean, I wouldn't leave that out if I was the one, the front guy. Right. I mean, establish where all this is coming from. But Aaron's is the connection back to the Israelites anyway. They won't know who Moses is or barely will know. Maybe long lost dad that's never mentioned in mom. Well, that's the point. Yeah. So Aaron, Aaron's the trusted one. He's the one that assembles the elders. He suffered. Moses ran. That's right. And I don't mean that nope. against Moses, but he's he left. That's right. So Aaron is a person of the people. So God is going to use the person of the people to convince the people that are in leadership. This is what's going to happen. You know that game we used to play telephone or something like that where somebody <laughs> would start and then you'd repeat it to somebody else and by the time it got back to the original person, who knows what it was. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking about that as I read this. <laughs> Yeah, that's you should. Yeah, because part of part of the funny thing here is, is that as this is being written down, that's how we got the story. You know, each one of you have told me a part of the story, and I'm writing it down as, as fast as I can, which is why Robert caught it. Like it's this person's not invested in the story, he's just trying to write it as fast as he can, and he's listening to every single person writing this. Yeah, I forgot this part. Yeah, I forgot this part. Yeah, so your supporters. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Remember that time that's really good. And so that's what's happening. And so as we're reading it, we're hearing it as a telephone game. And then the story is being told as in a telephone game. You know, because you got to go this person, this person, and this person before we even get to Pharaoh. Now the story has been told and acted twice. And the first time it was. God doing it through Moses. Now it's God doing it through Aaron on behalf of Moses. And then that's why I said we have to wait because the answer is, uh-huh, yes, maybe, I don't know. Moses' sons are too young to be circumcised. Yeah, well, there's another Not problem. That they don't understand, but I just, I mean, it's reading, I was trying to figure out why they were put on donkeys. And my brain says the only reason that you'd put Zipporah and the kids on donkeys is they're not big enough 
the kids to, walk. to or stay up with them. Yeah. They may be able to walk, but they're not to keep it. Because it didn't make any sense. They walk everywhere. That's so that's right. Sorry. And Why I missed they... the part about what age you're supposed to be circumcised. Well, they have not set that up yet. Okay. So as a culture, they have not set this up yet. Now we know that in the later on that we look at this as a, as a rite of passage between 10 and 12 years old. But here, uh, their history is just being written. So they haven't set a specific date. So that's another weird moment. Like, so you're right. The sons can't be that old. Uh, they, they might be 10, might be the oldest. And, but the whole purpose of this is to talk about the firstborn son. Because we got to come back to that eventually. So that's... That's one of the things that the writer has done. Here's the firstborn son. And just to be safe, Zipporah has already circumcised him. So he's, we're good. But he's not. He's not of the chosen people. He's definitely not of the chosen people. It would have been a bad thing to circumcise him at, before. Well, anyway. That would have been an easy way for the Egyptians to know whether they were Hebrew or not. That is correct. I guess what I'm trying to say is you probably could have left that out and gave them a better chance of living whenever the Egyptians were out looking for looking people. For yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, let's keep going. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has manifested himself to us. Let us go. Um, we pray a distance of Sorry, a distance of three days into the wilderness to sacrifice the Lord of God, lest he strike us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to him, Moses and Aaron, why do you distract the people from their tasks? Give to your labors. And Pharaoh continued, the people of the land are already so numerous, and you would have them cease from their labors. That same day, Pharaoh charged the taskmasters and foremen of the people, saying, you shall no longer provide the people with straw for making bricks as to heretofore. heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but oppose upon them the same quota of bricks as they have been making heretofore. Do not reduce it, for they are shirkers. That is why they cry, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men. Let them keep at it and, and not pay attention to deceitful promises. So the taskmasters, foremen of the people, went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you any straw. You must go and get the straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But there shall be no decrease, whatever, in your work. Then the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, You must complete the same work assignment each day as when you had straw. And the foremen of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. Why, they were asked, did you not complete the prescribed amount of bricks, either yesterday or today, as you did before? Then the foremen of the Israelites came to Pharaoh and cried, why do you deal thus with your servants? 
No straw is issued to your servants, yet they demand of us make bricks. Thus your servants are being beaten when the fault is with your own people. He replied, you are shirkers, shirkers. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Be off now to your work. No straw shall be issued to you, but you must produce your quota of bricks. Now, the foremen of the Israelites found themselves in trouble because of the order. You must not reduce your daily quantity of bricks. As they left Pharaoh's presence, they came upon Moses and Aaron standing in their path. And they said to him, may the Lord look upon you and punish you for making us loathsome to Pharaoh and his courtiers, putting a sword in their hands to slay us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why did you bring harm upon this people? Why did you send me ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He has dealt worth, worse with his people, and still you have not delivered your people. Then the Lord said to Moses, You shall soon see what I will do to Pharaoh. He shall let them go because of a greater might. Indeed, because of a greater might, he shall drive them from his land. Pause. Building up to the big story. Is this what you guys remember the story? The big exit. The big exit. Never slowing it down, so yes. That part you remember slowed down? Well, I mean, they're starting to get in, they're getting into normal storytelling stuff where they say it and they say it again and mm -hmm. then they repeat it. Mm -hmm. Why does why do they reference King? Uh, or is it it's right at the beginning? I was just looking uh, for, but the King of Egypt said, and then it's Pharaoh. Yeah. After that, every, I mean every every other reference has been Pharaoh, but they call him King there. I think it's just a grammatical thing. I think it's just an accident. And. God, God and Moses are talking. Yeah. Not this bush. I mean, they're not telling how, but he's, he's talking. There's just not a lot of conversations between. Well, later, like, later on, <laughs> it's not good. No, no. When, when the Levites are in charge. It gets even more complicated. Yeah. Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, right? Yes. Melech. Oh, that's interesting. They translate, translated that uh, Melech as the king of Egypt. Again, Melech in Hebrew is messenger. Uh, so he's speaking for all of Egypt, but yeah, would follow. But I mean... Well, this is a wow, you, you know, you just caught a really weird one. The Melech itself is usually the word for messenger, but this one is one of those really weird Masoretic texts that they've they've added a um, a different part of speech, which makes it a different word altogether, uh, into the noun masculine form of king. Um, like the Phoenician word or the Assyrian word. So it's not the word that you would use for angel. It is literally the king. So uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, because I, I didn't catch that part at all, because I didn't spend a lot of time on that part. Uh, I'm wondering if, 
who's the Lord? And the, I do not know that nor rather they answered the God of the Hebrews, let us go and pray this 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 this. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron. It makes me wonder if they're acknowledging it as he is not, he's not the king of the world, right? Like Pharaoh is always okay. referred to as. This is making sense to me now. So Pharaoh in the Egyptian world is the king of everything. That God. He, that's he right. He is see. a God, right? Anything that he can see. And it makes me wonder if the, the, the Levitical writer here is trying to make sure you understand. No, no. This person has a specific geographical location of Egypt. And they're writing it letting you know this is a king type person, a human label. That's what that, that's what I'm trying to say. The label that they gave to in the Nazarene text is a human label of nobility, where Melech is usually used as a creative being, celestial being that is the word of God. So they're interpreting or defining, so we'll understand. Yeah, out, I feel out like of that, a I mean, different yeah. language. Yeah. Which is really weird because I never would have. Never would have caught that. And I don't want to go too far chasing rabbits, but so far there's not been any acknowledgement that Pharaoh and Moses know each other and or were stepbrothers. I mean, we're, it's not telling us who this is. It just says that the king, previous king, I think, I don't remember, the previous guy died. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it called him king what? or Pharaoh, but it said... Didn't it say past scripture that, that, that there was now a Pharaoh in Egypt that did not know? Yes. Yeah. yeah, right at the very beginning. Okay. Right at the very beginning of Exodus, it says that. So he says that, but this, this is an interesting part because catching a little bit of the nuance, Moses and Aaron somehow are able to walk right up to Pharaoh and say, hey, listen, you got to let people go. That's as absurd to us as it is to them. <laughs> Because he, well, the Pharaoh isn't acknowledging that there's, well, how could he? He is a god. Right. He would have been aware of another god if there was such a thing. That's right. And a god of the servants who are lazy. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that part. They're the only one working, but. <laughs> well, and then the, this, I get confused with the. Uh, the the caste system that they're creating here. You know, you've got the supervisor, and then you got the manager, and then you got Pharaoh. Right? So you got Pharaoh, manager, supervisor, and then you're supposed to be the Hebrews. And they switch from Egyptian to Hebrew somewhere. Yeah. Like these supervisors are I feel like they're trustees like you'd see in prison and they're the ones that are getting beat. So the Egyptians really aren't beating them. No, their own people are. Yeah. That's where I got confused. But their supervisors might be beaten by the Egyptians. But right. And did y'all catch the part? I mean, I, I know it's kind of weird, but it's, we're all talking, we, we spent a whole chapter about bricks. <laughs> straw no straw straw no straw why would that matter the straw makes a brick uh, 
stronger. Sure. What's Egyptian, it, Egypt known for? The pyramids. The pyramids. It's really strong bricks. Well, I kind of look at it as, as thinking of it. It's kind of like um, your foundation can crumble if you don't have the right foundation. Yes. The right brick, the right straws in there. Yes. No matter, I mean, you know, applied to today or applied to building bricks and pyramids, it's, you have to have that good foundation, strong foundation. And the Hebrews aren't happy. And Moses isn't doing anything to make it happier. Nope. Of course, that kind of continues. All the way through, <laughs> yeah. Moses never really gets it. And then he does. Okay, so now what's going to happen is uh, do your texts have right after verse 1 of chapter 6 a word? B-A-E-R-A. Yeah, va'ira should say. Is that what your says? This is an interesting thing. Not that anybody really cares, uh, but uh, Kim if you're looking, and Diana, if you're looking off to the right-hand side, that little... The little weird Hebrew mark, that's what that is. That's Vahera. This is uh, what we call in the Hebrew world a change. It's like a here's your chapter. You know how I always tell you that in Greek and Hebrew, they don't have chapters, verses, numbers, and all that stuff? And in Hebrew, they don't even have vowels. That's right. And in Hebrew, they don't even have vowels. So if you're looking at your Jewish study Bible, what the Masoretes did, this is why it's such a big deal, um, in, in um, Masoretes add vowel placements and they add some punctuation. And that matters because you've got your primeval text that has nothing, like Sally just mentioned. The Masoretes come in and say, oh, maybe we should do something. And they create a whole bunch of them. I mean, a whole bunch of them. There are 64 different forms of vowel placements in Hebrew. Um, and so this part right here is really fascinating because the Masoretes said, okay, now we want you to know here's a different chapter. So from here on, on out, it's what we call a descriptive change of reading. So now we would say, here's the spot where we stop and start again. Does that make sense? Which is cool. Because most of the time when you're right, if you're reading the book of Psalms, at the end of a chapter, you'll say the word Selah. Right? And Selah is kind of saying, okay, this now ends the, this, this reading. It's really what that means in Hebrew, but Greeks and Septuagint changed this idea, but this now ends the reading of this verse. So this is letting the reader know, ladies and gentlemen, we are now switching gears. So as I say that, let us now switch gears. So, so now we've had the conversation about Moses has come back. Aaron is now helping speak on his behalf. There's all these things taking place. There, there, this people are suffering more. Um, so now God has to fulfill God's promise. I'm going to let my, get my people out. 
This is how it's going to, this is going to how it's happened. No, I'm sorry, let me say that. This is how it's going to happen. So, verse two. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Now, this is the El Shaddai, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Adonai form of God. This is I am the Lord. This is different than before. Adonai is more of a, um, it's, I mean, it's a divine name, but it's not a noble one, right? Like it's not, Adonai is a form that's used to kind of let us know that God is in control. Humans are no longer in control. I appeared to Abraham and Jacob as El Shaddai. There's where it makes the difference. But I did not make myself to, to them, make known to them by my name, Yahweh or Adonai. Right there, you see that? You should say Yahweh. Is that what yours says? So in the in the Jewish study Bible, <laughs> they will not write the word Adonai. Uh, Sally, what does yours have there? Um, I am the Lord. The Lord, good. So that would be Adonai. What does yours have? The Lord. The Lord. So uh, those of you that have the Jewish study Bible, they they don't even. Spell out the word, they just put it in Hebrew because that's okay. So that's Adonai. Um, I also established my covenant. Let me make sure I got this right because this matters. This covenant right here might be what's this chapter six? I think this is. Three, four, right? No, this four. is Barit. This is Barit. So I, I have now, I have established my Barit with them to give them the land of Canaan. So we are making a legal thing, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I have now heard the moaning of the Israelites because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I've remembered my covenant, uh, which is still should be Barit, sure. That's at the end of five. I always tell you all this. Yeah, Barit still. Chesed becomes a thing throughout the whole Hebrew Bible, but here they're trying to be legalistic. So they're using the word Barit, not Chesed. Say therefore to the Israelite people, I am the Lord. I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm through extraordinary chastisements, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. There's that language again. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your God who freed you uh, from the labors of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land from which I swore, uh, which really should say I raised my hand, to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give to you for you a possession I, the Lord. But when Moses told this to the Israelites, they would not listen to Moses. Their spirits crushed by cruel bondage. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, there's the delineation again, to let the Israelites depart from this land. But Moses appealed to the Lord saying, the Israelites would not listen to me. How then should Pharaoh heed me, a man of impeded speech? 
So the Lord spoke to both Moses and Aaron in regard to the Israelites, and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, instructed them to deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. So the Lord spoke to the king, Pharaoh. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, go and tell Pharaoh King, blah, 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 blah. But Moses appealed to the Lord, saying that the Israelites would not hear them. How then should the Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord spoke to both Moses and Aaron in regard to the Israelites and Pharaoh King of Egypt, instructing them to deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. So it doesn't really tell you. Unless it says it in the Greek Septuagint part. What does yours say, Yang? Where? Well, he, uh, uh, right verse there, in verse 13. 13. This is in mine that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So he does not actually speak to Pharaoh in yours either. No. He's just telling those two what to do. So Aaron's getting to listen. And does not die. And uh, God tells him that he remembered, or yeah, I have remembered my covenant. I have remembered. Once again, he's remembered. Mm -hmm. Which would indicate he might forget. Uh, this would be some humor with the Jewish culture. Remember, God creates us in God's image. What do we do as we get older? Image and likeness. Mm -hmm. Sure. So image is what they look like. Likeness is what we act like. Mm -hmm. You know the phrase that you always hear yourself say, I, I didn't want to be anything like my parents, but then you find out you're exactly like them. Somehow, somehow. No, not exactly. Listen to my father's language and mine, it's not the same. No, no. <laughs> but we find ourselves sometimes mirroring some of their, some of their behaviors sometimes. I, I just struggle seeing God with any human qualities. Yeah. I'm, well, of course, and I'll, I'll be nice and call them qualities, but anyway. Yeah. For, for the Jewish culture, and as they're writing this, they have to make God humanist, not fully human, right? But. And I guess where I'm going is he's more human in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. Hmm. Interesting. Which would then probably lean towards the whole language of. Why we think God is wrathful, even though God really doesn't do all the stuff to us until, oh, I don't know, we commit genocide over and over and over again. I say we, I mean, I'm not Israelite in any way, shape, or form, but. So, back, who did Aaron perform the signs in front of? The elders. Okay. The first In Midian? No, no, no. In, he is now returned back, to, Egypt. to Egypt. They're in Egypt. Okay. Yeah, yeah Aaron didn't go to Midian, did he? Nope. Before the Israelites. So, the, so the, we're down here, and 
um, can't even think where it's at in here. The Israelite people don't listen to Moses and Aaron, right? Isn't that what it kind of says at the end of what yeah, we just so said? at the end, right before right before so at the first, they they're like, okay, yeah, you go talk to Pharaoh. So they go talk to Pharaoh. He says no. And he makes their life rough. Right. And as he makes so the, then they don't listen. Well, they grumble. Yeah, grumble. Yeah. 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 So, so the so the ones that they performed the um, leaders that they performed of the Israelites that they performed the signs for, they're grumbling too. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because their life got worse. Yeah, it's supposed to be helpful. <laughs> They thought it would be helpful. Are the so they said forget you. <laughs> the elders are just the leaders, right? No, there's no son of Isaac here. There's no, I mean, wherever they they all died, and we don't know what happened to the rest. And well, it's probably not going to go back to them. Actually, the next part of chapter six is the pedigree of. Moses and Aaron. Yeah, I didn't read all that. Yeah, so all of this leads up to a very Levitical understanding. There's no religious person in that they've acknowledged here. No. Or that's what I'm asking. Are the elders like religious or are they just head of head of the the local groups? Head of the local groups. So they're worshiping on their own. Yes. Supposed to be. Kind of get back to that. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I mean. This is on purpose. So this writer is saying there comes a point in all of our culture, no matter where we are, what time and what place, that we're on our own accord. And then God presents to us a Mashiach that gives us the ability to bring us back into essence with God. And yet we have the choice to listen or to to not. And here's this perfect example. They have this. This, these miracles performed in front of them, they believe, and then when life just gets a little bit tough, now, I'm, I'm being sincere when I say it this way, a little bit tough. They've always been beaten, right? They've always been enslaved. There was not a happy moment being in slavery. No. So here's this moment that all they asked to do was to go worship and pray, and they, the punishment kind of happens. But it's nobody's getting killed. I mean, I'm being very facetious here, but this is how the, the readers would listen to it. Nobody's getting killed. They're, they're not getting the straw. They need to build their own bricks. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a punishment, but it's not in the grand scheme of things, anything massive like they've experienced before. And then they still grumble. They still have homes. They're still eating. That's right. They still have homes. They still have, they, nobody's taking the food away. And this is, this is past Joseph. Just way past Joseph's time. Yeah. Yeah. So so now the rioters are going to have to say, okay, here's here's the proof that he is one of us. Now I'm not, you all know how I do this. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to read all of those names. So I'm going to get to start verse 14. These are the following over the heads of the respective clans. We're going to go all the way to verse uh, 25. And Aaron's son Eliezer took to the wife one of Putiel's daughters that she born in Phinehas. Actually, that would be Phinehas. Those are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, but their families, by their families. The Levites 
See how that worked? It is the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring forth the Israelites from the land of Egypt, troop by troop. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to free the Israelites from the Egyptians. These are the same Moses and Aaron from whom the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all that I will tell you. Moses appealed to the Lord, saying, See, I'm impeded of speech. How then shall Pharaoh eat me? So the point was is to show all the families of the Levites. So who's writing this book? Levites. Levites. So here, here's your proof. Moses and Aaron are of Levitical lineage. Yeah. All the other tribes that wrote their lineage didn't make it. That's right, because they didn't know how to write. Levites are the only ones that continue to can do it. So the ones that you guys caught it. So like the ones at the very beginning, like, oh, wow, look at all these miracles. That's great. That's awesome. But look, what's happening to the Levites? Well, they're being killed because they're writing down the acts of God on your behalf that you guys are crumbling about. This is a big deal, even though it's still another lineage and it drives me crazy. But, you know, they, and I didn't read it either, but they are throwing in lots of years there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, the Talmud didn't make it sound like much over 100 years. They're throwing hundreds of years in here. Yeah, that's the difference. And then the Talmud, when they're putting the Talmud together, the idea is that it's, it's happening sequentially. Like they didn't care about the time. Yeah. And the primeval thing, we want they want the writers, to, the people to read it, go, there was a really long time, you know, 133 years, 137 years. And, and the just for y'all, the just Talmud was that they had forgotten. I mean, there wasn't anybody in place that remembered, mm. you know, whether it be the everybody. I mean, they were just far enough down the road that, oh, yeah, we're here. That's the way the Egyptians kind of looked at it. They're here, except there's a lot of them. Yeah. Well, we're going to stop there because we don't want to start the plagues uh, and then stop in three minutes. So uh, we'll start at Exodus chapter seven next week. And I'm going to push stop on the